Welcome to What CEOs Want to Know, short conversations that can make a lasting difference with your business. My name is Linda Ruland, founder of SuccessAuthorities.com and the producer of this podcast series. In this episode, Success Authorities discuss with guest Howie Milstein what is needed of leaders, especially when what's ahead is ambiguous and uncertain. Listen as they unravel what they've learned from clients and colleagues who have ventured into the unknown. I just think that CEOs always, you know, if they're self-aware, they're just really uncertain all the time. Yeah. You know? yeah. Uh, with, the, with the pressure, by the way, to look like they're certain. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, the problem with uncertainty is that that's where we get fearful, right? Because uncertainty breeds fear and stress. And so I think, yeah, but you're right. They're looking like they're, they're trying to they're like ducks with the little feet underneath, right? <laughs> underneath the water, but on the top, they're just trying to pretend everything's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, like I got this folks. And then underneath yeah. it's like, they don't have a freaking clue. Yeah. yeah. And you can't, and you can't, and you can't blame them. I was talking to a guy yesterday. He's in charge of a pretty large company here up in Eden Prairie. And he was, he actually, a couple, couple of days ago, actually, he connected some dots for me. Now, it sounds simplistic, but he said, you know, you just made me think of something. A lot of the supply chain issues is the same problem we're experiencing with retention and, and hiring people. It's all about people. I haven't got people to drive the stuff to us. They haven't got people to unload the stuff. So uh, although there's parts, but if you look at the parts piece, it's actually the people piece. We're, we're emerging from, you know, a year and a half of being sequestered in our basements, you know, hiding in Cave the from a virus. People realized they were able to survive. They had a taste of not having to work in environments that they found to be unpleasant for, yeah. for bosses who were unpleasant. Was it on LinkedIn? Somebody talked about just left their job because... The boss was horrible and the boss convinced them to come back and they came back and it was even worse. I always say, you know, and this is my brand is it all relates to leadership. We yeah. don't really, first of all, we don't select our leaders well. And the things that we look for in our leaders aren't the things that we really need in leaders. If it's retention and collaboration and teamwork and all that to happen. You know. It's funny you should say that. We had a conversation yesterday, a few of us of success, and we were saying, so what is a job, not job description of a leader, but what are the things that, because I think it's shifted. I think leadership, I think there's a misnomer about what we're looking for. The obvious ones are build revenue and build profit and all that shit, right? But what, are, what really are we looking for? It's funny because I just gave a presentation on that last week. Really, you know what a leader is? It's you know we make it so complicated. It's, right. A leader is just somebody who get who's able to get people to really authentically follow them. Right. That's all yeah. that is. Yeah. That's all that is. A leader doesn't have yeah. to be smart or more strategic or anything. Just has to engage the resources of humanity around them. That's all it is. Well, well I I agree. I think they're facilitators, right? Yeah, because right. they don't always so because. Everybody thinks the leader has to solve everything. Actually, they're not. They're normally the people that bring the right resources together that can actually work and solve it themselves. And all they are is the glue that actually helps uh, A, bring them together, but B, help them stick 
the stickability of retention, yeah. right? And that's kind of idealistic, but the leader, you know, in the business world, the leader also has to ultimately make some of the decisions that can be risky or unpopular or, or whatever, yeah. you know, so yeah. the leader, the, you know, the leader takes some of the bigger risks leader, you know, a good leader will, will take one for the team on occasion. But that gets people to follow them, too. You mentioned you did a presentation last week. Was it on leadership? What was the topic about, Howie? The title was, if you want to lead, be less human. Be less human? Yep. So can, you that I reaction. would love to hear exactly, some of the highlights. That's exactly of that. the reaction that I wanted to hear. You You just fell right into my trap, Jane, as if I paid you to say it. Well, you did pay me. <laughs> Am I getting a bill? <laughs> Shit. What were some of the highlights? The, 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 the gist of the of the of the discussion, Jane, was I start with Howie's theory of evolution, and I talk about one of my old ancestors from caveman days named Thag Milstein. And Thag walks around carrying a big club. And he's carrying a big club because he's afraid of a bunch of stuff, things that can eat him, right? Or kill him. So we just walk around with a lot. And that's still part of our human brain. We're just afraid. I'd use that club on spiders. It's not one mm-hmm. of the four fatal fears, but I, I relayed this to Ron afterwards. I had the epiphany that we know what the four fatal fears are. That's common. But I think one of the, the real fear we have is of spiders. Um, I agree. Not snakes. So, oh, I don't care about snakes. Yeah. No, I don't care. Millsteins don't care about snakes. Millsteins don't like spiders. Harry, what's those four fears? Well, these are what is it? Fear of being uh, the fear of being wrong, uh, fear of emotional intelligence. No, fear of emotional discomfort. Right. Uh, there you um, go. Yeah. Um, the fear of fear. Uh, fear of um, what? What are the other ones? Failure and rejection. Failure and rejection. Right. Yeah. You have to be. You know, and they're, and they're all associated with needs that we have. You know, to be accepted, to be emotionally comfortable, to be part of a group. Mm. But we're, we also are filled with bias, right? Uh, so we're imperfect and we're filled with, you know, reacting to our emotional brains before we actually seize conscious control and do or say what we think is actually more productive, something that we had thought about earlier and forget that we do that. So the human part is it's needing to be the funniest person in the room, needing to be the center of attention, needing to have the last laugh, needing to have to be right in an argument, uh, needing to support your image of being super cool or being a leader, all that stuff that's really off-putting to other people, and you end up looking like a dick. And, and the bad news is, is that you neither need to be intentional nor aware that you're acting like a dick to be seen as one, Right. And that's the human part. That's why people don't like working for other people because their subconscious brain has gotten the best of them. As opposed to saying, here's who I want to be. Here's who I want to react. Here's who I want to pause. Here's who I want to listen. And here's how I kind of let myself off from having to feel like I need to be the smartest person in the room. So I don't like the word human. My, my friend, I don't know if you know Rosie Ward. She's part of the whole conscious capitalism movement. And she's got a couple of books out there. And, uh, you know, she'll put stuff out there. And she even talks in one of her posts about being more human. And I was a guest on her podcast a few weeks ago. And I said, look, I don't I don't I think you're wrong. I think we need to be I don't think we need to be more human. We need to be really less human because that's the real imperfect stuff that comes out so much. We need to be more humane. Right. Obviously, there are certain parts of being human that are that are delightful and nice. But but when I say human, I'm I'm really talking about those parts of 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 humans who are 
reactive emotionally. Yeah, it's all the survival stuff. Yeah, yeah whether we know it or not. Yeah. We're just not, you know, we're not aware of it. So it's not like I'm making this up. I've got my own empirical evidence. You know, and I started this whole I'll stop taking yourself so seriously enterprise based on my own personal experience, watching others, hearing stories. I just get incredulous when people treat others poorly. Makes total sense to me. And one of my theories is what helps us be less human, in your words, is to be more self-aware. Yes. Um, yeah, is it? So my book is, you know, it's all about this, but my book really is a, is a primer on uh, emotional intelligence. Yeah. It is being, it's all about self-awareness. It's knowing how other people feel based on what you're saying and doing to them. What's the name of that book? My book? My book yeah. is called Don't Be a Fucking Dick. <laughs> Subtle title. You know, Ed, I had one shot at the title. You and bet. I just, I, and if I, I didn't agree. use that title, I would have regretted it. By the way, one way of kind of showing up and, you know, that way is to being so easy to take offense at things. I think people take offense at things because they think they should. They really don't, in fact, but they think they should, so they do. And uh, so the book title is kind of a setup. So I say one reason, one, one sign you might be taking yourself a little bit too seriously is that you might have taken the title of this book offensively. All right. Kind of mean to the reader. I know. I don't care. I bet they don't put it down, though. <laughs> well, I, I, I don't know. It's short. You don't have to put it down between readings. It's, you know, it's 108 pages. <laughs> <laughs> this rejection is huge, by the way. Rejection comes very easy to us, and it's not hard to, to feel rejected. It, you know, it's, it happens with 80% of job applicants, um, or people have gone through one or two interviews with a company, and it's in their court to reach out to you, and you don't hear it for days and then weeks. And uh, it happens so much, and that ghosting is... It, it really is something that lights up your brain. It's a very painful, mm-hmm. painful hurt emotionally. Well, it mixes in abandonment, rejection. I mean, all those icky yep. feelings. Right. And, you know, Thad Milstein back there had really good reasons for all those fears. Because if you got rejected from your, your clan, you were screwed. Mm-hmm. I mean, you couldn't live by yourself back. You know, Thad wouldn't have lasted long. And same with the others. So there was, you know, some inherent reasons, and yet we still have them, and we don't have the same actual dangers, but those things kick in, and they, and, you know, if you're really good at it, like myself, I can get all four going at once. Um, I don't recommend this to the rookie, but I, I can do all four in one scenario. You know, they're, they're often re- very related, aren't they? Yeah. I think they're all connected. So you talked about that CEOs feel frustration and uncertainty. So what are they doing other than sitting at their desk and quivering? Well, a lot of them are feeling isolation. They do. Mm -hmm. I mean, there is this lonely at the top thing where you don't know where to go, you know, and you can go to answers to your own people. You're going to get their own biases. You're often going to get, you're going to hear what people want you to hear because they're struggling to climb that corporate ladder, claw their way on their peers, up, you know, up their peers' backs to the top, right? Peer advisory groups are really spectacular because you've got people that are all in the same boat. They're all struggling with similar things. You know, oftentimes it's human conflict and they get to be vulnerable and open. 
And this is, you know, in my book, I build up my book is all about healthy community. Ultimately, I do this because I want to improve the community that is the workplace that happens to be most people's access to a community these days. Zoom and, and virtual uh, environments are not real communities. People aren't going to churches and you know, community centers like they used to even before COVID. So the workplace is where people actually work with others in the same space. It's all about the strength of a community. And, I, I, and I've always been a community advocate. I know it's about loneliness. You know, loneliness is another thing that we have um, that we know is risky when it comes to physical and mental well-being. You know, loneliness is, not, is, is actually associated with you know, risk of death. I think it's incumbent on our workplaces to really provide healthy community for others. And by enabling people to work remotely, you might be taking away a, uh, a benefit that people don't even realize is a benefit. I'm not alone on that thinking, thank goodness. I got one other guy, I think, that agrees with me, but I'll take that. And he, and he wrote a book about it. In fact, he talks about weight loss plans. His primary example is how amazing Weight Watchers is, how old it's been and how successful it is. And really, it's not about what you eat or how much. It's the fact that you meet with a bunch of people on a weekly basis, supporting each other in a community setting on this weight loss goal. Community. So, I, so these Vistage groups... Our community groups. Yeah. I was a uh, tab facilitator for a long time. Had yep. four groups, very similar to Vistage, although very different in some respects. But it was that monthly board meeting, as we called it, where they got together and they could speak without the kind of fears you were talking about. You know, I never call it a community, but it certainly had that aspect to it. And so loaded question, how do you create that inside of an entrepreneurial firm? How do you, how do you create community? Yeah, inside of a firm. So you, is that possible? The, oh, for sure. The, the creation of a community is simply finding reasons to get people in the same place at the same time. Yeah. That's all it is. What happens there is another thing. You want to lead, the leader wants to lead that community in such a way that they want to follow. And it's right. about... Right. Building trust. You know, my book really is a lot of it is devoted to the building of trust and a good chunk of it is devoted to how you destroy trust. To me, there's a, an invisible wall a lot of times between the CEO and the rest of the company. And uh, it's there for a, a whole bunch of reasons, some of them political, some of them just geographical. But how is it that people are doing anything about it or breaking through that? You know, I've spent the last seven years in career coaching as well, but I'm now transitioning out. So I worked with well over 300 people in the, you know, in, in job search. The rules, the way we do things, it's so conventional, Linda, and it's really wrong. And in fact, that's going to be my next book, how really screwed up the world of resumes and recruiting and applicant tracking systems and interviewing is. It's all looking for something that doesn't really have great correlation with success. And it's time to really break that down and just do things differently. But the world is so stuck in the conventions around recruiting and hiring and retention that it's really hard to move. It's going to take some courageous people. Smaller organizations can do it. For them to do something, they have to start thinking differently, but nobody's provoking them to think differently in this regard. So there's no catalyst. So I feel like that part of the world is really stuck 
and they're getting what they what they want. You know, the smaller business owners in my group, I had a small enough organization where I really had a hand in all the hiring. I just simply hired for courage and likability, <laughs> right? And a modicum of, of intelligence and a couple of things. But other than that, I didn't search for people that came from the exact sector and in, in, in medicine that I worked in. So the paradigms around that are really screwed up. And if they're complaining there's a lack of talent, well, no. Hire a copier salesperson. You can. It works. Train them a little bit. In fact, they work out better often. And Dan Pink talks about this too in his in, in his mm-hmm. book Drive. We think it's all about compensation, and it's very little about compensation. Money is extrinsically motivating. It might work for like a minute, but long term it doesn't. You know, we've created this world where we think that as long as we pay you enough, you'll stay. And how many of us here in this room, I bet, have had positions where we made decent money and then had another position where we made less money, yet we're happier. Mm-hmm. Right? It would ne- it would never go back to that higher paying position for the crap that we had to put up with. Yesterday, Peter had shared an article from a client of his. Its headline was, Meaningful Work Shortage Explains Worker Shortage. How many of the problems could be solved if we, as you mentioned, started to provoke the issue a little bit and, um, you know, open up that Pandora's box. Yeah, let's, let's, yeah, let's redefine the, the job description. You know, I'm seeing, I'm like, I have this vision of how the world literally would change if we hired on emotional intelligence and personality. And, you know, I talked to somebody in the hospitality industry and her criteria was, were they breathing? They needed help so bad and they would hire somebody immediately and that person would stay until the first paycheck and then leave. I spoke for the Society of Human Resource Management chapter here in Denver a couple months ago. They were all complaining about how they're getting resumes, but nobody's returning their calls. And a lot of people will set up interviews and then not show up. So the applicants are ghosting the companies and they're doing only what they have to do to qualify for unemployment. Apparently, a lot of people through COVID have learned how to deal with, live with less. But when we thought we took away some of these unemployment benefits during COVID, and when they were lifted, we thought there'd be a resurgence of people back to the workforce. That didn't happen. No, it didn't. So now we're making up other reasons why we think they're not going back to work. Yeah, exactly. Right, right, Howie. And that was a discussion I had with the same guy the other day. Is I, I, he said, I used to think it was because of the unemployment. Then I used to think it was because of rent relief. I was wrong. <laughs> they may have contributed. But that's not, we still got the same issue and those things are gone. How do you coach your clients on self-awareness? How do I coach them on self-awareness? Yeah. The conversation, there's really not a singular conversation on self-awareness, but at some point I might ask a client, how do you think others are seeing you? Or how would you like to be seen? How do you know that your authentic self is coming across the way you want it to come across? A lot of times I ask them how they know, because that's all about encouraging them to consider gathering some empirical evidence in case they haven't gotten it. Especially if I think that, you know, a lot of times people don't realize that they're coming across as the jerk. You know, we talk, you know, you don't have to, you know, to reiterate, you don't have to know you've come across as a jerk to be seen as one. And sometimes you need to get some feedback from others. And hard, and it's, by the way, it's hard to get honest feedback direct to your face. So it's really, Ron, it's just the questions. Do you, um, and I know this probably isn't true of your Vistage group or the people who have the honor of being coached by you. In your vast experience, are there leaders out there who don't really want to know 
what people think about them. I don't know if they don't want to know. I think they don't care. Some people are unaware that they're coming across harshly and hurtfully. And I think they don't want to be. They just don't know it. But not caring means I'm just going to do I don't care how other people feel, which yeah. is a real problem. A lot of so this goes back to the selection process for leaders. You know, you look at the type of organization and how their how leaders are chosen. We need someone with executive presence you and know? confident. And confident, yeah, right. There's also a piece of that though that as employees, we want to believe there's a wizard who understands somebody sees all the crap that I see and they're doing something about it. And we want to believe that despite evidence to the contrary. So, so in other words, you want to be able to hire a lemming who's just willing to go along with whatever somebody says because they, they, they provide the appearance of knowledge, right? Well, that's definitely what you want if you're that kind of a leader, right? You want lemmings and compliance and people who just do what you're told. Yes. But I think, though, we're getting tired of that because years ago, I think people would say, well, that's just work. Why do you think they call it work? Of course, you're unhappy. But I think we've wisened up over the last couple of decades. <laughs> There's some of us who are aware of there are some alternative, better ways of leading. And we, you know, if we've worked in an environment where we've loved the leader, it's because the leader is is vulnerable, right? And the leader is compassionate, empathic, in addition to being smart, but the leader listens. And people, when they've had a taste of that, they don't like the other way. And I think that's a good point, Howie, because there's there's some not empirical data to, to substantiate it, but there is a lot of proof coming out that it looks like there's a lot of people not at the workplace anymore, but in fact, a lot of people have opted to do their own thing. And we're not catching that in terms of all this self-employment that's going on while people are looking to reinvent what they do themselves and go out on their own and do it. And I, I think there's a lot of that going on and it's not being captured as being one of the reasons we've got this problem with getting people, to be honest. Hey, listen, all else being equal, working for yourself, people are very happy doing that because they hate the, yeah, they, I, I think they, it's the a hierarchical environment of an office. Well, it's what Daniel Pink said back in his Nation book in 2001, right? This is, was going to be this trend towards. And so one of the questions I'm going to ask him is a lot of those things that you said would come true. How much of it has come true? And how much of it do you think was COVID kickstarted it? Right. I think we learned a lot about ourselves during COVID. Yeah. And the other thing is this hierarchy of people that have found themselves in certain levels of authority. I hate I hate titles. Ron knows my favorite title. I changed my title to the Gangster of Love. And uh, I had business cards printed with it and the placard outside my office. And, and we were a publicly traded company in Norway, but I still had my own division. On the legal documents, I was still the president. But Gangster of Love worked out really well. I bet. And by that point, you know, people knew who I was. I was always myself and and I thought I was. I tried to be. Nothing changed. I don't really lose the respect of people. I got more hugs at cardiac surgery conventions. I saw a segment on a news show recently how one of the restaurants in Denver, because restaurants have been so hard hit, he the owner decided to pay everybody the exact same. The manager, the same as the dishwashers, etc. They are not hurting at all for employees. Someone had a had the courage to just level the playing field. One of the things I, I wanted to ask you is apart from the obvious, which is the supply chain and labor, what are some of the other things that are on CEOs' minds at, at your Vistage groups? Well, Anything strike you? 
Yes, gender equity, the you know, uh, the leader, oh, okay. the women leaders, a bunch of guys sit around and are open to hearing what it's like being a woman in the workplace and hearing what they hear and the struggles. Mm. It's mm. super enlightening and really aggravating. There's still a lot of men in the workplace that, you know, these are all power issues. For, there's, the, there's the gender stuff. A lot of it is like a more human conflict. It's working with people on the board. There's politics on the board, having to make certain decisions that are not really in the best interests of the organization, but in the best interests of maybe one other person, one other powerful person and it's a real conflict of value. In fact, that's what I'm going to do. And I haven't done this with my my executive coaching clients. And uh, next month, I'm going to do values assessments on all of them just to get it down on paper, what their core values are to help make wow. some decisions that aren't consistent with their own personal values. Because mm. that conflict of values causes pain. It's funny to say that. It goes into personal life too, as we all know, right? I've just got a very good friend of mine who's split up with you know eight years she's been with her partner. And it, it manifested itself over politics because they were opposite ends of the spectrum, but it really wasn't about the politics. The values were fundamentally different. And uh, and I think values are so important and so underrated in terms of how we, where we sit with people in terms of relating to and chemistry. It's really good to get a handle on them and know what they are, know what your values are. Mm-hmm. And know whenever you make a decision that runs antithetical to your values, you're going to have some internal issues, struggles, unhappiness. Yeah. And unless you're willing to move on those, there is no future there. The values pretty much don't change that much. So, they don't do that. You know, That's right. I've done that hundreds of times with my career clients. And I would say 95% of them have in their top 10 values helping others. And if that's if that's the issue, and if you really want to help others, you know, how does that inform the decisions that you make about equity and equality and inclusion and all that? It helps you make better decisions when you know what your values are. Look forward to future podcasts featuring authorities on topics vital to the success of your business during these changing times. For more information and to contact us directly, visit successauthorities.com.